Hey, this is Steve Balton, and you're here with my longtime friend and the coolest fucking guy in rock, Dave Grohl. Dude, this interview was a blast. I've wanted Dave on the show since day one, and with the new film, Studio 666, coming out, it seemed like a perfect opportunity for Dave and I to catch up and talk about the film, Bonnie Raitt, so much more. So, hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. As you can see, we have a blast every time we talk. What up, dude? Steve, did I catch you in a karaoke moment? What are we doing here? We are, dude. Uh, I actually have an important message for you. Okay. Uh, a friend of yours said to say hi. Who's that? Uh, Bonnie Ray. Oh, Bonnie Ray. God, so, I love dude, that Well, okay, so here's the thing, right? You remember 2017, I'm the one who pointed out the Jerry Rafferty thing. I did that Rolling Stone story on the Mutual fucking super randomly. I interviewed both of you today. Wow, no way. That's so funny. You know, I have a picture on my phone, and I don't know if I've told you this before, but at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame 2014 when Nirvana were being inducted, you know, we were kind of nervous, and we were backstage in our dressing room, and Pat and I were lying on the floor uh, just kind of relaxing, and Bonnie Raitt came in to say hello, and because she is the cool coolest human being on earth, she got down and laid down between Pat and I on the floor and we hung out for a good half an hour. That's how fucking cool Bonnie Raitt is. <laughs> I know how fucking cool, but boy, okay, you're going to love this. I asked her since, of course, you know, you guys bonded over the Jerry Rafferty stuff. Yeah. What 70s song she would want to cover with Foo Fighters. So what 70s song would you want to cover with Bonnie Raitt? Oh, right down the line, man. I mean, if we're talking, if we're talking Jerry Rafferty, or Never Let Her Slip Any Away by song. Andrew Gold. So. Wait, which one? Never, slit, Never Let Her Slip Away by Andrew Gold. That one actually might be early 80s. I can't remember. But, oh, dude. I mean, that's, it's like, you know, there's so many good songs from that era. That I can only imagine what she would want to do. Actually, the first one that came to her mind was Highway to Hell. There you go. That's a can-do situation. Out, I, it would, it would be fucking great on the soundtrack for this. Yeah, it really would, actually. <laughs> All right, dude. This movie was... Uh, oh, by the way, I also fucking love the Lionel Richie thing because sometime during COVID, I became obsessed with the song Sail On. That dude was so badass in the 70s. Oh, yeah. 70s stuff. So yeah. tell me where that came from. Lionel, you know, honestly, the screenwriter, Rebecca, wrote him into the script. She wrote that scene in the movie because it was a hilarious scene without knowing that I knew him. And so I said, oh my God, wait, do they know that I know Lionel Richie? He said, no. I'm like, hold on a second. And I texted him and I said, hey man, it's Dave. Um, we're making a horror film. There's a really hilarious scene. Do you want to be in it? And he texted back, absolutely. And that was it. Like, didn't have to call any casting agents or managers or anything. I just texted him. And um, listen, he came in. He's such a joy to be around, first of all. But um he really, he brought that scene where the first, the first take, he spoke his lines. He said, uh, listen, we all have writer's block, but that's my song. And then he said, wait, you want one more? Want me to turn it up a little bit? I said, yeah. And he said, he said, actually, he goes, Dave, we all have writer's block, but that's my fucking song. But he was like, that's my fucking song. And he really like, he, he pumped it up, and uh, he's uh, he's such a great dude. I love him. Yeah, it's so funny though because it, I feel like in you know I've interviewed him. I love him. I feel like when Lionel Richie gets mad at you, even fake, you're like, oh shit. 
I mean, for me personally, listen, that's a dream sequence in the movie. It felt like I was in a dream as we were filming it because I'm like, what? You know, never in my life would I imagine that A, Foo Fighters would be making a horror film and B, I would have to act act out a scene with Lionel Richie telling me that Hello is his fucking song. I mean, everything about it was weird. All right. So speaking of weird, how many times in your life have you grabbed someone by the shirt and said, I'm Dave Grohl. I'm a rock star. Uh, once. And it's in <laughs> Studio 666. Yeah, that doesn't happen. Dude, it's so funny, though, because I've talked to... I used to do a lot of film writing, and right? You know, there's something that can be a really fun release about getting to tap into that side. So how much fun was it playing Dave Grohl asshole? Well, it was really fun, to, you know, playing uh, someone who's possessed. You know, because you spend most of your time trying to be cool to people, be nice to people, be kind to people. And then they put those fangs in your mouth and those contacts in your eyes. And all of a sudden you have license to be a fucking demon. It's fun. I, you know how there's a reason why Halloween is a popular holiday because everyone gets to put a mask on for a couple hours and be something that they're not. So it was, you know, it was really fun to make this film. And, and also, you know, the, there are a lot of rock and roll cliches that were exaggerated in this film. You know, the creative tension and the writer's block and, and a band trying to put an album together when they don't have any material. The lead singer being a fucking wicked dickhead. You know, that. so it was really fun to kind of act out all of these ridiculous cliches. It was fucking pretty cool. Well, I, I wonder as well, I feel like, and this would make a hell of a drinking game for us music geeks, you know, like, the people to tap in to the little rock and roll mythology, like for example, the reference to Jimmy Page, and then later on the Aleister Crowley. Yes, I mean, fortunately, Rebecca and her husband, uh, the screenwriters, they are both rockers. You know, they're both writers, um, but they're both rock and rollers. I mean, we met them in the music scene years, 10 years ago, I remember meeting Rebecca through like Eagles of death metal. So they understood the scene and they understood the vibe. Um, so a lot of the thing, you know, when, when the line where I say, this album's got to be 2112 times 2112, <laughs> like that came from them. Like, they, they, they get the, they get the joke for sure. Yeah. All right. By the way, too. Now, Gerard from My Chem, who's a friend, he was telling me about recording Welcome to the Black Parade at Paramore and how that place was haunted. So now were there bands that you spoke to about their haunted studio recordings as research for? No, but I mean, there. you know, I remember as I was making the Sound City documentary, I can't remember the first person to mention the ghost at Sound City, but it became a question that I asked almost everybody. At the end of the interview, I would say, okay, did you see the ghost? And everyone had a ghost story about that place. So, you know, and of course, the there's that house in Laurel Canyon that Rick Rubin used to make records in. Um, everyone said it was Charlie Chaplin's old estate. People had ghost stories about that. You know, I I, I don't not believe it. Like, you know, there's part of me that thinks I, I lived in a house in Seattle that did have a ghost, and before then, had no interest in any sort of paranormal anything. But I lived in a house in Seattle for two and a half years, and I can honestly say I was not the only fucking person in that house, without question. So I don't not believe it. But as far as, you know, listen, anything 
sort of horror related or paranormal goes hand in hand with rock and roll. It just adds to the mythology and the mystique, I'm sure. All right. So, yeah, let's go back. At what point did you guys decide that you wanted to do this? And yeah, well, I always hate to start with the obvious. So now we're coming back to this, but I do have to ask. Well, okay. So this goes back about three years where a friend of mine that works in the entertainment industry was at some meeting and texted me afterwards and says, I just came out of a meeting. These people said they want to make a horror film with the Foo Fighters. And I thought, no way. That's ridiculous. Why would we ever do something so stupid? Then it was time to start writing Medicine at Midnight. And what I like to do when we're making, before I make an album, I like to put down a lot of ideas myself. And I usually find a little demo studio or somewhere where I can do it alone. So I found this house, which I had lived in 10 years ago. I actually lived in this house 10 years ago for about a year. I rented it while I was remodeling my place. Anyway, so I moved in, I started writing and I thought, wait a second. Okay, we have the house. I'm renting it. Let's make the album here. And once we're done, uh, we'll just make some really low budget run and gun slasher film. It'll be fun. Almost like a long form video. That's where the idea came from. And then I came up with its premise, which was that a band moves into a haunted house, singer becomes possessed, fucking kills everyone and goes solo. That was it. But then it snowballed into the, all of a sudden there's screenwriters and then there's a table read and then there's special effects. And this whole time we're like, oh my God, what are we making a movie? Like that wasn't what we ever aspired to do. But fortunately it turned out that way. Dude, you're in a great lineage of, of bands that have made movies. So, so obvious question, were there template movies? You know, I feel like theme-wise, it's a little closer to Kiss Meets Phantom of the Park. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, we all grew up loving those rock and roll movies. That, because, and unfortunately, they're not as prevalent as they were years ago. Like, you'd have a band like the Beatles. They'd make Hard Day's Night. You have a band like... The Ramones, Rock and Roll High School, Kiss meets Phantom of the Park, fucking Spice Girls, whatever it is, Eight Mile, who knows, you know, Purple Rain. There was something about seeing your favorite artist in an entirely different medium, right? So you're so used to seeing them either on stage or listening to them uh, on an album or seeing their music videos, but put them in this whole other scenario and it's just meant to entertain. That's it. I, I think at least it was for us. So, you know, and there's something about an ensemble, like you're, you're used to seeing the dynamic between the Foo Fighters musically, but here we are, you know, in this ridiculous horror scenario. And it's just, you know, it really is just meant to be fun. And everybody, you know, having seen our videos for the past 26 years, I don't think many people would be surprised at what we pull off on screen. Well, it's interesting, too. How much were the other uh, characters in the band, characters in air quotes, exaggerated? Like, you know, Rami as the Lothario. I love that. It's funny because I have a good friend who's friends with Rami, and I text her. I'm like, just start calling him Romeo from now on. Exactly. Well, you know, uh, Rebecca, the screenwriter, she actually came to the studio while we were making Medicine at Midnight to get a feel of the dynamic between the band members and what it's like when we're actually making a film. And then she incorporated that into the horror idea. So, um, you know, everyone's personality in the film is that person in the band. It's just an exaggerated version. So, you know, Rami, <coughs> Rami's much more Polly Shore 
on screen than he is in real life, you know? And, uh, and Nate is, well, Nate's kind of Nate in the film, you know? <laughs> the funniest thing is that Taylor, Taylor saw the script. He's like, I'm not saying this shit. I'm just going to, I'm just going to say whatever I'm going to say. And we're like, okay, go for it. And honestly, he comes off very naturally in the film. That is Taylor Hawkins in the movie. He didn't really deviate from his normal self at all. Yeah, that, that feels like Taylor. Yeah, it's him. It's honestly, he came up with all that shit. <laughs> all right. So it's interesting for you guys. I mean, having had this experience, talk about then how, because look, everything that you do is with the intention of, like you say, having fun. And this is just one more creative outlet. You have the movie coming out. It's ridiculous. It's absurd. It's fun. It reminds me of the, the one movie that comes to mind is the 81 film Student Bodies. Remember that? No, I don't remember that one. Uh-uh. It's like the best horror comedy of all time. Go back and watch it. It's called Student Bodies. Okay. So, like I said, I used to do film writing as well. But then talk about how you then go forward with like, all right, because you kind of got this release and now tour coming out. You finally get to do the proper tour for Medicine at Midnight. Yeah. I mean, you know, in the band, the most important thing to us is always the music and the performance. When we go in to make albums, we take it very seriously. And it's something that we take a lot of pride in. When it comes to playing live shows, we want to be the best fucking band you've ever seen. That's it. Bottom line. And when we hit the stage, nobody's half-assing it. We walk out there and we give it everything we have every night. Um, And that means the world to us. Everything else is kind of just like bells and whistles. It's all fucking gravy. You know, the fact that we get to make these documentaries or we get to make these videos or we get to make like a horror film, that really is just sort of the icing on the cake. And um, after 26 years of being a band, you it's not that you search for those things, but when the opportunity arises to do something that you've never done before, we just look at each other and say, okay, why not? I mean, it's, and, and sometimes people ask, well, cool, you've done this. What's next? And I always say, I don't know. I honestly don't know. I mean, it's hard for me to plan anything past next weekend, but I'm not sure. But, you know, in true Foo Fighters fashion, if one of, if an opportunity like this falls in our lap, more often than not, we're going to take it just, just to experience it, you know, and then move on. Well, see, that's so cool though, because again, you mentioned the Ramones and I think that's, you know, and to me, like I, I hadn't thought about it, but that's probably my favorite rock and roll movie, rock and roll high school. I mean, it was just such a great film. Also the time it came out, but so it's interesting. I think one of the things about these bands is like, they weren't afraid to have fun. They also weren't afraid to poke fun at themselves. And how important is that? I think, I think that's so much a part of the relationship the Foo Fighters have with their fans is like, dude, I feel like a lot of bands would be fucking terrified of doing a Bee Gees cover album, even though, by the way, the Bee Gees were fucking gods. Right. Well, I think that, um, I think that a band's aesthetic should be a clear and direct representation of the type of people that they are. So I wouldn't imagine, I wouldn't, I wouldn't imagine Nick Cave would make a ridiculous horror film, maybe it would, I don't know. But, you know, it, it is, it, it is, <clears throat> it's true to the type of people that we are. <clears throat> that, um, you know, I think there is some lighthearted, really, uh, 
relatability to this band that um, that's it's genuine, it's real. I mean, it's you know, it, I, we don't have board room meeting discussions to try to figure out how to be self-deprecating or more relatable to the people that come to see the band. It just fucking kind of happens that way, and I and I th- and it's entirely real. I mean, I think it. We we feel perfectly comfortable and natural doing this. You know, every of course everyone's been asking us, "Well, what about a sequel? You can do a sequel." And we sit around sometimes, just the band backstage, and try to imagine, like, all right, what other band um, is stupid enough to do something like this? Like, I, we're, we're trying to try to think of another band that would do something that's just so completely ridiculous. It's it's hard it's hard to imagine. They're out there. I think they just have to sort of let go and, you know, be able to do it. See, it's funny. I would never ask about a sequel. I was going to ask who else you would want to see do this. But now let's switch this around then. And now that you've got the film bug in quotes, what would be, is there another type of film that the Foo Fighters could do in terms of a, a style of film? Because like you say, the Beatles, you know, they kind of rolled around. Well, we have been discussing a Weezer rom-com. <laughs> so, but we'll see that, that's a hard that's a hard pitch all right dude so what do you want people to take from the film when they see it it's funny because it's like normally acid, but it's like again it's such a fun movie it's so absurd by the way after you were possessed and killed all the band did they you know not to give everything away were the rest of the band members a little afraid of you for a minute afterwards uh, no, not at all. They were relieved that they didn't have to come to set every night at eleven o'clock <laughs> anymore. You know, they were like, they're like, oh, cool. Like, I I get killed tonight. Great. See you later. Have fun with the rest of the movie. That was basically it. Um, all right. Well, we yeah, gotta I, wrap up in a second. But we mentioned Lionel Richie. We started with Bonnie Raitt. I gotta ask then, who would you want to do? I never thought about this before, but who would you personally want to do a buddy cop film with? Not the food buddy fighters. cop film. Yeah, like a buddy action film, like, you know, going back to like 48 hours. Who would Dave Grohl want to do a film with? I mean, to be perfectly honest, his name's Taylor Hawkins. I mean, like, I know I know they've made two Dumb and Dumbers, but dude, they haven't seen a Dumb and Dumber like Taylor and I yet. That's for fucking sure. All right, wait. Now, by the way, so you never finished the song, but will there be a 44-minute song coming out of this film? Or wait, there, I know you guys are doing a premiere party. Will you play it at the premiere party? Just 44 minutes of whatever the fuck the song is. We haven't figured that out yet, but let's just say that we found the lost Dream Widow record. Let's let's leave it at that. Cool, dude. What do you want to add? I didn't ask you about because I know we got to wrap up. I, just, I got nothing. I got you're the fucking boss, dude. Come on, you tell me. Um, I mean, just tell me when you're gonna do a song with Bonnie Wright, dude. By the way, wait, wait, we're gonna have for a second. Okay, we got one minute. Andrew Gold. Lonely Boy, one of the best 70 songs of all time. I don't even know the other one, so I'm excited to go listen to it. Okay, well, there's Lonely Boy. I mean, you know he wrote Thank You for Being a Friend. Like, that's probably his biggest hit, right? Lonely Boy, unbelievable song. But there is a song, it's called Never Let Her Slip Away. Uh, I don't know how big of a hit it was, but I can honestly say that song is as valuable and genius and legitimate as any classical composer. Listen to that, Andrew Gold. It'll blow your fucking mind. The way he transposes and moves from key to key, major to minor, it'll fuck it. The backup vocals blow your mind. Yeah, I'll see you soon. See you soon. Good to see you, man.
Hey, this is Steve Balton. You've been listening to My Turning Point with special guest Dave Grohl. Good news. You started a company. Now you have to run it. When you look out into the sea of CRMs, it can look extremely blue. But HubSpot is here to give your company a more human approach. We're a CRM that's easy to use, aligns all your teams seamlessly, and delivers a better experience for your customers. So your business feels like a helpful partner and not just some company trying to force a sale. There's a better way to help grow your business by connecting your people, your customers, and your business. HubSpot. Grow better. Lose weight and eat great with Nutrisystem. With Nutrisystem, you get your breakfasts, lunches, dinners, and snacks delivered right to your door. They're all portioned out and ready in minutes. Fast, easy, and convenient. Go to Nutrisystem.com slash meals right now and get a special offer. You heard me right. Go to Nutrisystem.com slash meals right now and get a special offer. Don't wait. Lose weight and get healthy with Nutrisystem. Go to Nutrisystem.com slash meals right now for their special offer, plus get free shipping. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.